and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we will continue looking ahead to week three by breaking down some start-sit questions and going over some of my, my and our guests, who we'll get to in a second, top DFS plays. Uh, as I said, very special guest today, lead NFL writer for Fantasy Pros, co-host of the Fantasy Pros Football Podcast, author of The Primer, which in my opinion is one of the better pieces of fantasy football content on the entire internet, Mike Taglieri. Mike, how's it going, man? Oh man, it's it's good to be on the show back with PFF. I, I honestly, uh, a lot of people listening might not know. I my first paid gig in the fantasy football industry was with PFF with uh, Mike Clay and Jeff Ratcliffe. So uh, it's good to be back on the show. Awesome, man. Yeah, how the uh, turns of tables, as Michael Scott might say. But <laughs> yeah, dude. So uh, every Tuesday, the at PFF underscore fantasy Twitter account will send out a tweet asking for all your toughest start sick questions. Uh, I go through that Tuesday night, compile them, and then Mike and I will be breaking those down. So without further ado, let's get after it. Uh, starting off with the quarterbacks, we have Gardner Minshew, who has been absolutely balling, and Carson Wentz, who I thought would get back to his 2017 MVP form this year. That has not happened. Uh, Mike, could you like among these two? Yeah, I'm going to go with Gardner Minshew now that we found out that uh, Jalen Rager is going to miss, it seems like, six to eight weeks. Uh, it's kind of crazy. The injury to his hand is going to cost him to miss that much time. But uh, that's – I know he's only seen four targets each of the last two games, but he's a rookie that was coming into his own coming off of, of the previous injury. So I, I expected his role to grow. Uh, it was a matchup to target against Cincinnati. But uh, now with that injury, you know, you have Deshaun Jackson out there with, you know, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside and Greg Ward. Not exactly excited about those guys. So I'm going to go with Minshew against the Dolphins defense that's going to be without Byron Jones tomorrow. We just got word of that, that he's out tomorrow, uh, which is massive. This Brian Flores defense in Miami, I know they've added talent, but uh, they played 18 games under him in those 18 games and 14 of them quarterbacks have scored at least 15.6 fantasy points. Minshew has offered a floor uh, and you love the guy. You love to root for him. So uh, what's not to like about Gardner Minshew? He's been a borderline fantasy QB one pretty much since week one of last season. And we just got to start treating him like one. And, you know, for him to kind of get through, I think this early season start uh, was impressive enough, but we now have three straight games with three, three or more passing touchdowns. As you said, Byron Jones is out. I mean, Xavier and Howard, because it was interesting last week, Jones only played two snaps, but they were using him as a shadow corner for the first time pretty much in his career. He's always been a stationary guy. And they asked Flores after the game, you know, why didn't Xavier Howard start doing that? Cause that Stefan Diggs was, beating that secondary like a drum and he brought up how Howard isn't healthy enough to handle that so we got a situation where uh, you know hopefully Chark is out there I know he's uh, being called questionable with his chest injury but sounds like he'll play through it we haven't even seen Minshew's rushing upside tapped into yet I think this is an easy pick it wouldn't have been easy two weeks ago but you know people can't overreact too much to the small sample size I played but I do think this is Gardner Minshew's season for sure all right moving on we have Deshaun Watson versus Ryan Tannehill who you got here tags I'm going Ryan Tannehill. Uh, I don't know why people hate him. Uh, and, and we were talking about this on our podcast earlier today is that what does Ryan Tannehill have to do to earn your trust? Because last year it was that he was too efficient. And then in week one, he goes out there and points, puts up totals despite AJ Brown, not really being hundred percent having to miss week two. And then like we get flashes of 2019 last week with Ryan Tannehill, uh, 18 of 24 passing four touchdowns. It's like, what is happening here? Efficiency through the roof. I know people see Minnesota on the schedule and they think, oh, this has been a good defense for a long time. This is not the same Minnesota defense they once were. Um, even with Anthony Barr, who was just announced as out for the year with a torn pectoral muscle, even with him in the lineup, they're allowing a 74% completion rate to quarterbacks, 8.4 yards per attempt, a 7 three-point 
uh, 7.3% touchdown rate. Everything is crazy efficient. Ryan Tannehill has been crazy efficient. Would it help if he gets A.J. Brown back this week? It certainly would. But at the same time, when are we going to stop questioning his efficiency? And meanwhile, Deshaun Watson going against that Pittsburgh defense. I mean, Pittsburgh's defense is legit. I think we all know that. Uh, they're a team that blitzes like no other. I think it was Andy Holloway from the footballers that had a tweet earlier about them being the, one of the most blitz-heavy teams in the league and that Deshaun Watson has really, really struggled under uh, pressure. So uh, with Will Fuller, highly questionable for this game as well. I just don't know where Deshaun Watson gets his fantasy points from outside of maybe he's going to scramble and that's where he's going to get his fantasy points. But I'm having a hard time trusting him as a top 12 quarterback this week. He's right around that range. It's really difficult to sit someone like that, Deshaun Watson. But if you have Tannehill, I think the floor is higher. And I think we've already seen the ceiling is probably higher. And that's kind of the debate we have here because I, you know, no one's really expecting the Texans to efficiently move the ball against the Steelers. But, you know, we saw week one when Watson gets behind in garbage time, he can start racking up fantasy points in a hurry, particularly when he starts running. So, uh, yeah, Tannehill, kind of same thing we were just saying about Minshew. Like, how many times do we need to see this guy be a QB1 before we start treating him like a QB1? I mean, some of the throws he made in week two, man, I know it was against the Jaguars, but literally getting thrown onto his back and just putting the thing on a dime to uh, Humphreys for that one touchdown, multiple other great plays. He PFF's seventh highest graded passer after two weeks. I think I still lean towards Watson just because of all that volume. And I'm just concerned that Tannehill is going to have one of these, you know, 20 to 25 pass attempt games. But uh, I agree the floor is definitely higher here. You know, wouldn't be shocked if it's uh, one of those blowout situations with Watson, Watson where he's just struggling uh, throughout and never quite has a chance to get on track. I would just know for everyone out there that, you know, is frustrated with Watson and all these Texans as a whole. It gets better. This has been brutal. Chiefs, Ravens, now Steelers. But after this, we get the Vikings, Jaguars, Titans, Packers, Jaguars again, and the Browns. So, you know, if uh, people out there, they're really feeling bad about David Johnson, these types of guys, do not be afraid to float out a reasonable trade offer. All right, moving on to the running back position, we have everyone's least favorite running back at the moment, Joe Mixon and David Montgomery. Who you got, Tex? I'm going to go with Mixon. Uh, you know, he there's a reason that people drafted him in the first round. I think we got to the point halfway in the year last year where the Bengals started treating him as a workhorse running back. And then we get back to the, the beginning of this year, and it's like, what's happening? Giovanni Brown is coming on the field in third down situations. He's being used in two-minute drills. Uh, that's worrisome for Mixon. But at the same time, you have to think, as A.J. Green gets his sea legs back under him, as Tyler Boyd continues to progress and get that chemistry with Joe Burrow, as T. Higgins grows into an NFL player, Joe Burrow himself, I mean, throwing three touchdowns last week, I think teams are going to have to start to respect that. And it's not so much about Joe Mixon anymore. It's more about what can this, what can we do to slow down this passing unit? Uh, and Joe Mixon is going to see holes open up because of that. They do have a few new pieces on the offensive line, which is always going to take some time to gel between those guys. It's the same reason I didn't like the Dolphins or the Jets running backs outside of obvious reasons. But those teams had five new offensive linemen uh, coming into this year. So that's going to take some time with no offseason. These are basically like the preseason games. So uh, Mixon is going to get better I think he's one of the better buy lows in all of fantasy football uh, and it's only a matter of time but before they go back to say we need to get the ball in this guy's hands he's a, he's the bread and butter here uh, it sucks that they're six point six and a half point underdogs in this game but uh, David Montgomery he can easily be game scripted out of that whereas is if the Bears fall behind to the Falcons like you know the Cowboys did last week all of a sudden David Montgomery is going to wind up with 12 carries and if he doesn't score you're kind of screwed uh, so I'm going to go with Joe Mixon here and trust uh, the process of, of why we drafted him at the you know at the end of the first round to begin with. 
Yeah, Mixon is game script dependent in that his ceiling is obviously much higher if they can play with a lead, but he's kind of like Derrick Henry where no matter what happens, like they're going to get him the rock 15 plus times more weeks than not. And I think everyone is just so disappointed at Mixon because of how good he looks when he does get receiving chances. But like this isn't new. He had four catches in that Thursday night game last week. He didn't have a game with more than four catches in the entire last season. So, you know, Giovanni Bernard for the better part of this last decade has been playing, you know, this 30, 40% scap back role but you know what it's not like a situation in Los Angeles or anything where we actually have to worry about maybe this RB2 could like rise up the ranks this is Mixon's backfield he's the guy the touchdowns are going to come at some point as this offense and offensive line continues to gel and yeah I'm I'm continuing to treat him as the RB borderline RB1 that he's been for the better part of the last two seasons Uh, you know if you can't fit both these guys in your lineup though I would recommend it because you know shout out David Montgomery has been looking a lot better this season among 53 qualified backs he's 11th in yards after contact rush eighth and missed force tackles per touch 11th overall in pff's rushing grade so you know the guy everyone kind of gave up on him after the first uh, 11 12 weeks after last year pretty disappointing but hey you know guys are allowed to get better as the as the career continues a uh, good job by david montgomery uh keeping it up he's my rb 18 this week so again you know if you can get mixing and montgomery in there not a bad call all right going a little bit lower in the ranks here jk dobbins or joshua kelly I don't know why J.K. Dobbins continues to pop. We have the ECR on Fantasy Pros, and uh, he's at like RB25 this week or 24. I don't get it. I mean, he's had 10 touches through two weeks. I, I understand wanting to, to hold him on your roster. I really do. I'm not saying to drop him. I'm just saying you're talking about borderline RB2 production. Uh, the Chiefs are terrible against the run. It has nothing to do with his talent. has nothing to do with the matchup because the Chiefs are one of the worst in the league at defending running backs. But this has to do with, with his actual role in the offense. Gus Edwards has a role. It's clear. Uh, the Ravens continually blow out teams, but we haven't seen Dobbins in the game even when the game's close. Because, again, 10 touches over the span of two games, this is Justice Hill territory. Again, Dobbins is more talented, and he is going to develop a role, but I think it's going to require an injury to Ingram or Edwards for me to feel confident starting him. Is anything more than like a Hail Mary RB3. Um, whereas Josh Kelly, he is sixth in the NFL in carries right now, uh, tied with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Clyde w- tied with other rookie Jonathan Taylor. Nobody realizes that. He had 23 carries last week in the game that Justin Herbert started. And again, it was against that Chiefs defense, which is a, a complete mess. But that over the last two seasons that Melvin Gordon spent with the Chargers, he did not top 22 carries. So Joshua Kelly already getting a massive role. People talked about if he gets that Melvin Gordon role, if he gets that Melvin Gordon, that's why people were drafting him. And now that he has it, why are we afraid to start him? You know, uh, Austin Eckler is going to get his carries, but going against the, the Panthers, what I have here, in terms of the skill position, players, uh, running back, wide receivers, and tight ends, 56.1% of the production the Panthers have allowed has gone to running backs. There's nobody in the, there's no other team in the NFL that's allowed more than 50% to running backs. So this is a matchup where they absolutely should be pounding the ball with Herbert under center if they want to get a win. Uh, and against the Panthers, it's the team to do it. They've allowed 33 rushing touchdowns over their last 18 games. Joshua Kelly's getting the red zone carries. Like, really, what's not to like? I have Joshua Kelly ranked as my RB19 this week, and I'm not afraid to start him. Yeah, I got him RB24, so I'm with you. We got to get this guy in starting lineups. What are we waiting for? And I love pivoting off of Mike Davis uh, on DraftKings in favor of Kelly, who's just $1,000 cheaper. And I think sometimes, you know, we overrate uh, how, you know, 
bad run defenses. Like you look at, you know, the Bills, the Patriots, some of the truly top defenses, and they are better against the pass than the run. The Panthers are the exception to that idea because they are truly the worst run defense you'll find. They were last year. They got rid of Luke. I mean, Luke Keekley retired. Obviously, that didn't help, and we're seeing that uh, come to fruition. So, yeah, I mean, Dobbins, okay, probably the more talented back. He had that awesome 44-yard run uh, last week. He's flashing, but, yeah, three RB backfield, and, you know, Lamar Jackson – and not trying to make an RB joke here, but the guy is getting 15-plus carries a game. He's, uh, you know, lowering that floor as well. So I believe there's only one RB. Okay, Ingram had a couple targets uh, last week, but in week one, zero RB targets as a group. It's, you know, it's a fantasy-friendly offense in Baltimore in that Lamar helps, you know, improve everyone's efficiency. But as long as this backfield is this muddled, it's really hard to treat any of these guys as RB2s. All right, moving on to the wide receiver position. Out of this group, we need to pick two. Allen Robinson, Adam Thielen, and Terry McLaurin. Pretty good problem to have. It is a really good problem to have. And uh, I would say the one I'd probably move on, uh, I'd bench this week of the of them. And it sucks to say it because I have him as like a top 15 wide receiver is Terry McLaurin, just because you have to worry about the quarterback play uh, with him more than you do with Allen Robinson, Adam Thielen. Um, Allen Robinson was consistent last year in terms of even with bad quarterback play. Trubisky looked better than I think most people understand in week two. Uh, Matt Nagy and the play calling has been questionable. Getting Anthony Miller on the field has been a problem. Uh, but Allen Robinson, the targets are there. Uh, this week he's going to see a lot. <laughs> I mean, the matchup, you can't get much better. Isaiah Oliver, uh, been brutal in coverage throughout his career. They moved on from Desmond Trufant, starting a rookie there opposite Oliver, there's nothing not to like about Allen Robinson in this matchup. So uh, I'm playing him as a top six wide receiver this this week. Adam Thielen should bounce back. I, I do worry. I don't understand why it changed once Pat Schirmer left. But even once Kevin Stefanski took over as the offensive coordinator interim, and then they went to Kubiak and they, they're not using Thielen in the slot anymore. And it's, it's, it's worrisome for his production because he's always been a much more productive receiver when he plays in the slot. But he is the only guy on that team, uh, basically, that you're looking at. And then you, you look at the, the Titans and you say, they're down probably two of their top three cornerbacks. Adoree Jackson's still on IR. Jonathan Joseph hurt his leg last week. So that leaves Malcolm Butler and Christian Fulton, a rookie out there. Uh, I don't think either of them can hang with Adam Thielen. So I'm going to go with Thielen. I think Cousins just had a bad week last week. We don't see that very often out of him. So um, sadly, I'd bench McLaurin. I mean, it sucks to say that, but of those three, that's who I would. Yeah, I have all three guys top 11. So, you know, I'd like to see this roster and this, you know, apparent three or four team person league we might be looking at. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, Allen Robinson to me, like, sticks out. Like, going to last week, I mean, Calvin Ridley was just in a smash spot. We knew he could produce. We knew the targets were going to be there. And afterwards, I was like, why was this guy not in just 100% of my DFS lineups? We knew this was going to happen. Allen Robinson to me is that guy this week because this is the ultimate squeaky wheel spot. He's already been getting nine targets these last two games. He's on pace for 144 this year. He was a PPR wide receiver eight last season with Trubisky under center the entire year you know save for one or two games with Chase Daniels so it's not the Trubisky issue like it's going to come for A-Rob in this you know magical spot that uh, the fantasy football gods have laid out for him I'm, I also have Thielen ahead of McLaurin I mean we're talking about three of the most established just number one pass game options in the entire league right here so again great problem to have you know credit to McLaurin for hanging 120 plus in a score on Patrick Peterson last week but I just think uh, the overall you know, with Trubisky, Cousins, and uh, Haskins not dealing with the best quarterbacks here, but I do think the uh, Bears and uh, Vikings offense has a little bit higher overall floor. All right, we're picking one out of this next group between Corey Davis, Mike Williams, and Brandon Cooks. 
This one's really tough uh, because Corey Davis, we don't know if A.J. Brown's going to be out yet, but we have to assume that he probably is. They called it a week-to-week thing, so I'm going to assume that he is. Uh, the Minnesota cornerbacks are nothing special, nothing to worry about. Holton Hill, Mike Hughes, and one of the rookies, Cameron Dantzler, whatever, Jeff Gladney. Uh, not a great starting cornerback unit, but Corey Davis, obviously a victim of, of low volume. And when he gets the volume, he produces, but we just don't know when it's going to happen because Ryan Tannehill's just been so damn efficient. Uh, so it's, he's probably the safest play in terms of like what he offers from a floor perspective. But I think Mike Williams is the ceiling play. Like if you're looking for a guy that could potentially score two touchdowns, Dante Jackson's not good. He's not. Um, and I, you know, when they drafted him, I didn't like the draft pick, how high they drafted him. Uh, but he's shown time and time again, he's not very good. He's also like five foot 10. So if, if Mike Williams gets, if they get him in one-on-one situations, this could easily be a game where Mike Williams scores two touchdowns. So if you want to chase a ceiling, I think it'd be Mike Williams, but the floor is higher with Corey Davis. Thoughts on uh, Brandon Cooks out of that group? Brandon Cooks, I mean, against Pittsburgh, it's, it's a brutal matchup. I mean, we did see him step up a little bit against the Ravens last week. If Will Fuller is out, I might move Brandon Cooks to the top of this list. Um, I'm, I'm expecting Fuller to play because he did play most of the snaps last week. It just seems like it was a kind of like a Julio Jones thing where the, these guys are just trying to push through it a little bit. They're going to have some stuff early in the season. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just – I'm so down against – <laughs> it's, it's, it's not offense. the matchup it's not the matchup to target against Pittsburgh I'm with you I would also yeah. go with Corey Davis you know looking at the disparity in targets between week one Chargers and week two it was interesting to see you know Herbert really go and feed Keenan Allen as that outright number one we expected Tyrod was more willing to chuck it downfield to Mike Williams but yeah man I mean the Panthers like having James Bradbury there was huge for them you know in that yes. gauntlet in that gauntlet of NFC South matchups they have every year against those number one wide receivers you know okay is Bradbury a top five corner in the league no but he is you know plus size body out there that can at least make life tough on guys now they don't have anyone that can do that so mike williams does have that uh, high upside love attacking uh, that chargers passing game this week and yeah volume's a little bit of a concern with Corey davis so you know hey if you're if your projection is saying you're down by 15 20 points going this week maybe go mike otherwise i would go ahead and line up Corey davis all right sticking with this chargers passing game a little bit we actually got uh philip rivers former and then current number one wide receivers here uh ty hilton or Keenan Allen tags, who you got? I'm going to go with Keenan Allen. Uh, you know, Justin Herbert, when I was watching Hard Knocks uh, during the preseason, Justin Herbert walked over to Keenan Allen. They got it on video, and he said something to him to the effect of, hey, hey, like, you're the dude. Like, my job is to get you the ball. Like, I'm your assistant. <laughs> like, I, you know, you get open. I just do what I have to do. And it was almost like he admired Keenan Allen's talent. And it's good that he sees that because Keenan Allen is one of the most talented wide receivers in the NFL. Uh, particularly from a route running standpoint uh, and now going against this Panthers team who is starting a gentleman named Corn Elder in the slot. Uh, I'm not making that name up. Uh, he has seen 10 career targets in his coverage on those targets. He's allowed 92 yards and two touchdowns. So uh, this is a matchup that you definitely, the, the problem when it comes to the chargers this week is trying to figure out where this production goes. It's almost like the bucks last week, right? Where you figured there was going to be so much production against this Panthers team that they were going to allow. It's just trying to find the guys, those pieces that are actually going to fit it. Uh, when they do throw the ball, Keenan Allen's the safe bet. Uh, even if they only throw the ball 25 times, I would guess that he's probably going to get six to eight targets in that range. And that's more than enough in this matchup. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and start him over T Y Hilton, who, Last week, I said on our podcast, I said, if you can't start T.Y. Hilton against the Vikings, I don't know when you're going to be able to start him. Uh, and then we had Paris Campbell go down early in that game, and then he still walks away with, what, three catches for 28 yards? Michael Pittman, a guy that was not even expected to play in that game, all of a sudden leads the team in targets, and it's like, what? what's happening here? Um, I'm worried about T.Y. Hilton. Uh, I don't think that he deserves to be in the conversation with Keenan Allen. 
Wow. Not even in the conversation. So yeah. I think I would go with you at Keenan, but not, I think Hilton has some bounce back potential, man. Not having Campbell there, that cements him as number one pass, pass game option here. Okay, I realized Pittman had a decent week, but I think him and Pascal are just more or less running the same types of routes. Hilton is, you know, Rivers 2020 version of Keenan Allen. Yeah, the stat line sucked last week, and, you know, <laughs> it's it's tough to say, but, dude, he did. He, Hilton did have a, you know, 40, 50-yard touchdown and just bounce off his chest. I know now hearing a guy drop a wide-open touchdown isn't the yep. thing you want to hear when you're talking right. up a wide receiver. So, you know, <laughs> take, that, take that as you want. I realize, uh, you know, kind of irony there, but – I, you I know, just wish they I wish they use him in the slot a little bit more. I mean, yeah. ever since Frank Wright came there, it's like T.Y. Hilton's playing like 20% of his snaps in the slot, and it really makes no sense. He's not a guy that's going to win physically on the perimeter, so it's almost like did he beat him with speed, and now yeah. that he's over 30 years old, it's like some of that's going to start to deteriorate, and I would just love to see him in, in, over the middle of the field a little bit more. And I hear you with the Vikings secondary point, but damn it, man, the Jets secondary might be the only other option we got there. So we'll see with T.Y. He's going to have bigger days. I don't know if we're going to, you know, see this return to form. Andrew Luck, wide receiver one level. I mean, his splits with him without Luck are just looking downright awful at this point. Before this year, we could just point to Jacoby Brissett and say that's why. Now I'm getting a little bit iffier. So I do think we're going to see some spike weeks from Hilton uh, coming in the upcoming weeks. But, yes, uh, if everything else is equal, go ahead and fire up Keenan Allen. All right, battle of the AFC North slot receivers next. Jarvis Landry or Tyler Boyd? Uh, this one's Landry this week. I'm usually a Boyd guy. Um, I, I do like Tyler Boyd, but I don't like the matchup there against Philly. It's the same thing like last week. People were wanting to play Robert Woods and, and Cooper Cup as top 15 plays, and I didn't get it. Um, I think they might be looking at last year's numbers uh, when they look at that secondary, but uh, adding Darius Slay and Nickel Roby Coleman – that's a different secondary, not one you want to attack with wide receivers, especially slot targets, because Roby Coleman has been really, really good. And I really don't know why the Rams decided to move on from him. Uh, I felt like he's like one of the underrated cornerbacks in the league. Uh, he's doing really good there. Tyler Boyd, a little bit hit or miss. Uh, AJ Green is eventually going to come around. Uh, you can't keep getting the targets he is, the air yards that he is, which is like head and shoulders above anybody else in the league and not produce because Joe Burrow, his like his ball is right on the money. Like Burrow's accuracy is everything we thought it was going to be. His timing is a little bit off in terms of what he's expecting on, on, on distances closing. Uh, it's going to take some time with that. But uh, I like Landry this week. The 10-day break should give him the rest needed to, you know, that hip that he's been dealing with. He had surgery on in the offseason. Uh, it should help. And then you look at the fact that um, this Washington secondary has allowed Greg Ward and Larry Fitzgerald uh, to catch 12 of 14 targets for 81 yards over the first two weeks. I mean, it's not sexy. But when you're, when you're starting Jarvis Landry, you're not looking to be sexy. You're just looking yeah. to get by with a wide receiver three performance. And knowing that Washington does bring that pressure, I would expect the game plan if Kevin Stefanski, you know, can do that uh, to like look at strengths and weaknesses, get the ball out of Baker's hands. Don't do a Carson Wentz did and hold onto the ball forever. Get the ball out of his hands, get the ball in Landry's hands, uh, take, take shots here and there with Beckham down the field. But uh, I like Landry here. Yeah, hopefully with this improved health, having the 10 days of rest, as you mentioned, uh, is going to help those snaps go up. Because he's been over 60% of the offense snaps in both games, but we're not seeing that every down roll. And because of that, the targets uh, have been down. I mean, only nine targets through these first two games. That's his lowest total after the first two games since his rookie year all the way back in 2014. And this dude was regularly hitting the 20s in the first two yep. weeks of the season with 2015, 2018. So I don't know if they're, they're going to, you know, enable two. Because last year, both Landry and Beckham had over 130-plus 
plus targets. This is more of a run first offense this season. If they have a little better defense, we're just not going to see them in comeback mode as often. But, you know, compared to Boyd, and I'm with you, AJ Green's out right there. I still think it's more of a 1A, 1B situation in Cleveland than it is in Cincinnati. Uh, better weeks are coming for Landry, even if, you know, Beckham is getting those more fancy friendly shots downfield these days. It's still a pretty condensed target share, particularly with uh, Hunt not getting any receiving snaps and with Austin Hooper more or less ghosting. So, you know, it's not ideal to be a run first offense targeting a wide receiver, but if we're going to do it, let's make sure it's like, you know, Seattle or Cleveland, where at least we know for sure who the top two options are. All right. A couple uh, rookies coming up here, Henry Ruggs or Jerry Judy. I'm going Judy here. Um, I think the Raiders, I mean, I, 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 I say it, I'm going to say it on every podcast I ever get on. Will rue the day when they drafted Henry Ruggs over Jerry Judy. It was the dumbest thing they could have ever done as a franchise. Um, and to know that they're not even manufacturing him touches is a real problem. Like I, I figured when they drafted him there, I was like, all right, they better have a plan in place. And Derek, Derek Carr is a guy that typically tar- uh, targets wide receivers right around the line of scrimmage. So I was like, okay, they understand how to use him. They're going to get him the ball in space. They're going to use him on end rounds, you know, on slants. Just get the ball in the guy's hands. Then he has one catch for four yards against the Saints, and you're like, I mean they won the game. So people are going to say, well, what does it matter? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just about understanding the player that you drafted and not using him the way that you're supposed to. He's not just a field stretcher. He's not, he actually was a, he didn't stretch the field nearly as much as Jerry Judy did while at Alabama. So I, I don't get it. Uh, meanwhile, Jerry Judy's got the matchup um, here. The best matchup I should say on the field for uh, against Tampa Bay in the slot against Sean Murphy bunting uh, Carlton Davis is not someone that travels into the slot very often. And when he does, he typically gets burned there. Uh, he's just too big. He's too clunky. Um, and if he tries to keep up with Jerry Judy and, you know, it with his four or five speed or whatever it is, uh, he's not going to. So Murphy bunting has been a guy that you can go after. He's not like the worst cornerback in the world, but he's not great. And Jerry Judy's the clear cut number one. Now you have to worry about Jeff Driscoll and how competent he'll be, but uh, 256 yards and two touchdowns against the Steelers. Okay. We can work with that. Um, so I'm going to go with Jerry Judy just because like, I, I don't think that the Raiders understand how to use their, their number 12 overall pick. Yeah, the replays of Ruggs just streaking open down the field as Carr decides to check the ball down again and again and again Monday night. You know, as he said, hey, all the credit, they got the win. I, I understand it, but man, have a plan for the guy. It looked like they kind of did in week one. I wonder if they use him just more as a clear out because he's banged up, but I don't know if that's a problem we should expect to go away this week. I'm with you on Judy. Judy's already like one of the top wide receivers in the league in terms of like after a play, you see the replay come up and it's just focused on the wide receiver and corner. Like you're about to see an awesome some route uh, on the screen. I know he struggled with some drops the first two weeks, but you know, uh, PFF's own Mike Renner was calling Judy just literally one of the best route runners to come out over the last decade. And yep. I think uh, he and everyone else been backing him, such as yourself, are being proven correct in the early parts of the year. Driscoll, man, there's been three quarterbacks <laughs> with a double-digit dot over the last two years. Driscoll, Stafford, and Jameis Winston, man. He runs around. He is fun. He is not this like dink and dunk backup quarterback who's just going to be a game manager. It's not always going to turn out. Like there's a wide range of outcomes both positive and negative for the Jeff Jeff uh, Driscoll experience but you know as two guys that got to slug through all 16 games every week I mean Jeff Driscoll does help make some of these games uh, more entertaining than they otherwise would be all right now we got the uh, uh, nice little battle here Julian Edelman or Chris Godwin Tom Brady's ex-wide receiver one versus his current one or two yeah I'm gonna go with Chris Godwin here um I was looking at the matchup for Edelman this week, and I think that he's a safe floor, wide receiver three, wide receiver two maybe. Um, <clears throat> but LaMarcus Joyner, ever since he went over to the Raiders, they've been using him in that, that nickel role. He came down from safe, uh, he played safety for the Rams, came over and played the nickel uh, with Oakland, and he or 
with Oakland, now Las Vegas. Um, he's done a good job in that route, in that role. Like if you go through the game logs from last year and look at the slot wide receivers that have played against them, uh, the biggest game that they've allowed to a slot heavy wide receiver was Keenan Allen, uh, who had eight catches for 68 yards and he didn't even score. So 14.8 PPR points. That's not like a massive game. Uh, Cam Newton has looked really good. Um, and I, I, I really don't doubt Cam here. It's just more about the matchup. And I think Nikhil Harry is someone that might have a bigger game this week. Um, but I, Elliman's fine as a floor play, but Chris Godwin, I mean, he's not coming off a hamstring injury. He's not coming off a soft tissue thing where you have to worry about re-injury. It was a concussion. Uh, he's coming back. He'll be 100%. And then you look at the Broncos and you just say, dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, they lose Von Miller, their best pass rusher, obviously. They lost Bradley Chubb last year. Um, they, they, they lose Chris Harris Jr. this offseason. And then they bring in A.J. Boye, hoping that he could actually fill that void. He was never going to fill that void, but they, but he was their number one cornerback, and now he's on IR. He's not playing, so they've been forced to move Bryce Callahan out to the perimeter, which is never a good thing. And then they're starting – do you, do you know how to pronounce his name? Isang Busey? Is that how you pronounce his name? Uh, your guess is as good as mine. That's it. That's, <laughs> well, that's their slot cornerback, a guy that was undrafted. Um, not not ideal to cover Chris Godwin. It was really weird. I actually went back and watched the Bucks game from last week, and uh, they had Mike Evans lining up in the slot – quite a bit and that's something that never happens because you figured they might move Scotty Miller in the inside or whatever but no it was Evans who kind of played that Godwin role so it's clear that that slot role means a lot to this offense and that's where they're going to move through so uh, even though Mike Evans has a good matchup on the perimeter I'm going to say that Godwin uh, it also has a good play those I mean both receivers could be top 20 plays this week for the Bucks. Yeah, I think we need to recognize that this Broncos defense is no longer, you know, even just the above average unit we've seen in the past. They just have so many injuries, so many yeah. guys out, and now they have an erratic quarterback uh, under center who, while entertaining, isn't necessarily going to set them up, you know, with the most consistent long drives, keeping them off the field and all that jazz. So I do think it's pretty close. I mean, to see Edelman have a league high 51% of the, of uh, you know, his team's air yard market share after two weeks is wild. I mean, Cam Newton, Cam yeah. Newton, and they Julian Edelman to this most receiving yards in a game ever. It is wild. I mean, it was a laser show on Sunday night. I mean, look, I've always been, uh, you know, back in Cam and his ability as a pocket passer, but seeing what he did Sunday night even surprised me. I do worry, because like we saw in week one when they got up on the Dolphins and just ran the piss out of the ball. Like, I do wonder if Edelman's just kind of floor target total is around that 5-6 mark and, you know, Goblin might even have the higher floor in addition to the ceiling, but you know, just based on last week, I lean to towards Edelman here. I'm not as worried about Joyner and the slot as you, but you know, I, I think uh, like with a couple of these questions, like both these guys should probably be in your lineup more weeks yeah, than not. For sure. Um, all right. A couple more tight end ones, and then we'll move on to some DFS plays. Uh, Noah Fant versus Mr. Three Tutties, Tyler Higby. I think I'm going to go back to Higby this week. And it's like a lot of the same reason why I liked Higby last week. I think I had him ranked as my fifth tight end and I should have played him more in DFS. I really should have. I just have no trust in golf against good defenses. And I thought that the Eagles would be, but they just basically just said, Oh, wait, what happened to Higby? We forget, we forget about him. Losing Malcolm Jenkins has proven to be a problem for that, that Philadelphia secondary. Um, but Tyler Higby is a guy that played 90% of the snaps in week one. So I, I wasn't worried about the production leaving. Uh, but this goes back to Robert Woods and his matchup this week against Tredavious White. Uh, Tredavious White, probably the best cornerback in the league right now. Um, he's going to be following um, – Robert Woods around. So Cooper Cup should see some action in the slot. I think Cooper Cup outproduces uh, Robert Woods this week, but I also think it's a reason that they look to Higby a little bit more considering that tough matchup for Woods. Um, whereas Noah Fant, I mean, he was almost, he was, he was basically absent the first half of the game last week. And then all of a sudden it's like Driscoll comes in and uh, it's a party. Um, 
I like Fant, and he's going to have a higher target share because of that. But the Bucks bring in Anton Winfield. I don't, I don't know if that that has. I don't, I don't think it's fixed the problems. But I do like him as a safety. I just, I don't feel as good about Noah Fant's quarterback situation as I do as Higby. So I'm. This one can go either way, but I'm going to say Higby just because he's had proven production and more targets on a, on a regular basis. Not great matchups for uh, either guy, but yeah, I'm yeah. with you going with Higby. It was like one of the most underwhelming three touchdown games you'll ever see. I mean, look, yeah. Higby got, got open, but they're more or less just like well-designed plays that fooled the defense and Higby was a beneficiary. Well, you know, that's life in a Sean McVay offense. We've seen that happen with Woods, Cup, pretty much everyone who's been benefiting from that. You know, when it is a, a, a tough call like this, I mean, okay, if you want to just go who has the most athletic upside and stuff, that's probably fan. But I think the better question the better tiebreaker to go off of who is in the you know the likely higher scoring offense that is Higby with the Rams uh, he's my tight end six and I think needs to continue to be started uh, almost regardless of the matchup all right last one here uh, a couple more borderline tight end ones I believe Dallas Goddard or Hayden Hurst you know what's funny I I posted a poll on Twitter uh, yesterday and it has like over 10,000 people that have voted on it and I said, if you had to start one, who would it be? Zach Ertz or Dallas Goddard? And I kid you not, to, to right now, I think it ends in a couple hours, 50-50. <laughs> and, and some people are going to call it recency bias, but after I wrote up the game, I'm not so sure that it's incorrect because I'm torn myself. Um, Ertz has played 126 snaps. Goddard has played 118. You have Jalen Rager out, which means they're going to run a whole lot of two tight end sets like they always do. So we should be looking at the same amount of snaps. Goddard has been more efficient on his targets. Ertz never really was that efficient with his targets over the course of his career. He just saw tons of volume. And when you're seeing tons of volume as a tight end, you're going to be played. It's not that he was bad, but I'm saying Goddard has been more efficient. And then you look at Goddard and say, he's seen at least eight targets in four straight games dating back to last year. He's seen at least six targets in his last nine games. So when you add in Rager's injury, Alshon Jeffrey's still out of the lineup. And you look at the Bengals who allowed 8.4 yards per target to tight ends last year, which was the fourth most in the NFL, you say, I have them both as top five starts this week. I like Ooh. them both. Um, I, I, I am, I think I decided that I'm still going to lean Ertz because I think he's the safer play, but I don't think Goddard's unsafe. Yeah. I'm no, going it's very close. I lean Hurst because I'm a little more com more confident what Matt Ryan's bringing the table versus Carson Wentz uh, in week three, 2020. We'll see what it looks like the rest of the year. But for now, uh, given the Matt Ryan offense. But, yeah, and it's honestly, it's been since that Eagles, I think it was week 10 by last season. And I know, you know, Goddard got healthy then. Nurse was a little banged up by end of the year. But truly been a split since then. Last year, Goddard and uh, Ertz joined uh, Gronk and Mr. Aaron Hernandez as the only teammates to both be top 12 PPR tight ends in the same season since 2010 they are uh, looking like strong a uh, strong chance to do that again in 2020 so hearse by a hair but yeah i'm with you i don't think you're going too wrong either way all right we'll get some dfs plays in a second quick word from our sponsors here at underdog fantasy if you like fantasy football you need to be playing on underdog fantasy my favorite new fantasy football app website and app are super slick and by far the best experience out there new snake draft games for real money every week you draft a new team every week and get a shot at big prizes no lineup setting waiver wires or bad trades to deal with the team that built the app is top notch and comes with some more support is best in the biz constantly updating adding new features look up underdog fantasy on your app store or go to underdogfantasy.com to play today make your first deposit and be sure to use my code pff after you do to let them know that i sent you love the guys at underdog fantasy all right next we're gonna go over some of our top dfs plays of the week mike and i are each gonna provide one 
quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. Uh, didn't specify, you know, cash or GPP. We'll kind of talk about that as we go through the explanation. But without further ado, Mike, who's your uh, quarterback you're most interested this week? I mean, if you can get up to Russell Wilson, uh, you do it. <laughs> I mean, Russell Fair. Wilson, he's 7,300. And I know a lot of people are going to go to Kyler Murray again at 68. But if you have an extra $500 to spend in your lineup, I'm a huge Russ guy. I, I really do believe that the, the whole statement, let's let Russ cook, that they want him an MVP, I think it's happening this year. I think it's 100% happening. Chris Carson getting six carries or five carries in the first game uh, kind of like led towards that. They're passing on earlier downs. They're passing earlier in the game. Uh, unfortunately, that Greg Olson letting it bounce off my hands off my helmet for a pick six. Um, Russell Wilson like legitimately has two more incompletions than he does touchdowns this year. It's 11 to nine. It's insane. Um, and now going up against Dallas in a game that they're, they have a team implied total of 30 and a half points. I mean, sign me up if you can get up to Russell Wilson. Yeah, this could be an absolute shootout. Cannot wait for that one. I'm uh, looking at a little bit further down the scale. This is definitely more of a tournament play, but Daniel Jones at only 5,500 against the 49ers. Look, he's had a miserable first two weeks in terms of matchups, Steelers, and then in Chicago. He's one of only three quarterbacks to be pressured on more than 40% of his dropbacks through three weeks. I think a lot of that was that Steelers matchup. And to Daniel Jones' credit, I mean, he hasn't been putting up great numbers, but he's performed better in these two games than I expected him to. I mean, I was thinking completely nothing uh, was going to happen. And he actually has actually demonstrated, you know, that big arm of his and still managed to make some plays. I just think without Saquon Barkley, like the answer is not one of these, you know, various washed running backs or maybe Wayne Gallman does his thing, but I don't care about Devontae Freeman or Deion Lewis. I think they're going to start throwing the hell out of the ball in New York. And with Sterling Shepard out, we finally have a little bit of a condensed target share. I mean, that's been the whole issue with trying to stack Jones and these receivers. We don't really know who's going to go off during any given week. Finally, we got, you know, Darius Slayton, Golden Tate getting all the work he wants out of the slot now, and the healthy version of Evan Ingram that's playing over 90% of the snaps. So San Francisco is a defense I think is going to scare everyone away. But, you know, Sherman's out, Bosa's out, Solomon Thomas is out. Um, they freaking sent uh, Buckner to Indy in the offseason. This is not the same 49ers defense. And, I mean, it wouldn't be shocking uh, to see the huge letdown. Now, I mistakenly earlier this week uh, said that, uh, the 49ers were having to go back to the West Coast and then back to the East Coast. I was wrong. They're staying in West Virginia, you know, which, which makes sense. Smart move by the NFL. So that's not a factor. But I think with a banged-up defense, pass-happy offense, we know Jones has these spike weeks in him, uh, could be a strong GPP play this week at potentially reduced ownership. Mike, who are you liking at the RB position? Uh, this one, there's two guys at the top that I'm really, like, separating myself from everybody else. And one – is Kenyon Drake because I, that's the reason I'm not going to go Kyler Murray uh, at quarterback just because I believe Drake could remove some of that upside against this Detroit defense when they like when they elected not to to keep Damon Snacks Harrison I was like why like I don't think they remember what it was like before they traded for him from the Giants because they were a team that you attacked with every running back possible and now that they've allowed 441 total yards to running backs through two games we're back to that we really are and Kenyon Drake has played pretty well uh, in tough matchups the first two weeks he's had a uh, 73-27, if I'm not mistaken, the, 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 the running back touch share between him and Chase Edmonds. So he is a workhorse. Uh, that's rare to get above 70%. Uh, so I love Kenyon Drake at 6K. And then the other one, Miles Sanders at 64. Uh, we talked about the, the banged-up uh, the Eagles wide receiver core. Uh, obviously, we like the tight ends, but the Bengals, let's not pretend that this team allows a lot of production on the ground. Um, at 6,400, it's not factoring the the upgrade in targets he's going to get in this offense, basically because of how injured they are uh, at the wide receiver position. So uh, those two are 
those are kind of cash game guys. I'm, I'm, I'm a bigger cash game player. Like in tournaments, I'll take some chances, but there's a bigger player pool when it comes to uh, tournaments. But those guys are my cash game options. Yeah, I was just putting together a charge for my mismatch manifesto article. One thing I look at is I take a, the offensive line, yards before contact for rush versus the defenses, and Drake is popping as one of just, you know, the best pure. Even before you just take into account that he's a talented guy in his own right, yeah. uh, should have one of the more efficient matchups of the weekend. How about Miles Sanders coming back to that 70% snap roll? Uh, Doug Peterson, historical committee talk, uh, not sh- not quite shining through when you have Miles Sanders back there. I'm looking at another NFC East running back, and that's Mr. Antonio Gibson. 67% snap last week 13 carries two targets it's similar to like Claude Edwards Hilaire in week one like to see this snap rate in the carries is fantastic because we know the targets are going to be there eventually and you know it's ever since Adrian Peterson got uh released and then he had that uh interview or just he, he told Josina Anderson from ESPN a couple quotes and he pretty much said they want to use Gibson as the main guy they only want one guy there and he's going to be the man it took all of one week for Peyton Barber to hit the bench more or less he only had one touch last week and McKissick I think it's just a matter of time, man. I mean, I was under the impression, and maybe we see Bryce Love get activated, but I was under the impression McKissick would be the one losing out, and we'd have, you know, Gibson as a slasher and a barber or Love yep. as the kind of early down guy. But hell, Gibson might just take over the whole backfield. We'll see what happens. So, you know, right now he's the NFL's leader in forced missed tackles per touch. I haven't been blown away at the explosiveness. We haven't seen the big plays yet. But, you know, if he keeps breaking tackles, those are going to come. Washington has nothing going on offense other than Terry McLaurin right now. They're trying to make Logan Thomas happen. I think, uh, you know, we're going to see Gibson flirting with that 20 touch mark sooner rather than later and a player of his caliber. Uh, it's great to see. He's only at 4,700 this week. I'm curious to see what this projected ownership looks like because he might fly under the radar with, you know, some of these just backup running backs like Mike Davis and the Giants guys attracting most of the attention. So, you know, again, we'll check that ownership. I think Gibson could be both cash and GPP viable at that price point. Mike, who are you liking at the wide receiver position? I mean, this one's hard not to go Allen Robinson at 6,200. We talked about him earlier uh, when the start sit portion. And uh, again, I have him as a top five wide receiver play this week. Uh, The Falcons to this point um, between their cornerback unit have allowed over, I think it's 11.6 yards per target to wide receivers. Allen Robinson, the targets have been there. It's just a matter of like actually finishing with them. Trubisky has been willing to target him. Anthony Miller. Anthony Miller was the only player that I was worried about potentially capping an Allen Robinson wide receiver one type season. But Wilton, Miller's not even coming on the field until three wide receiver sets. He's playing like half the snaps. He ran, I think, just 22, 23 routes last week. So uh, it's no longer a concern. Uh, Jimmy Graham is not a concern. So it's so concentrated to Allen Robinson. So when you see him at 6,200 uh, in a game that's got a projected over and over 47 and a half, which might come down if Julio is not going to play. Um, but I mean, th- there's just too much value not to play Allen Robinson there. Yeah, no, I like that call a lot and load up on A-Rob and any and every lineup. I think uh, Deontay Johnson, only 5,400 on DraftKings, is another guy that you can just put in there, reap the benefits, and, you know, worry about the rest later. You know, Pittsburgh against Houston. I know Deontay's going to be chalky because everyone knows he's far too cheap there. But, you know, the guy's got 23 targets after two weeks. Juju's all the way down at 14. Like, okay, I think that evens up a little bit. But either way, this is the 1A, 1B situation that we were hoping for. Washington and Claypool are doing their thing in the third wide receiver spot. Spot. We even saw like more two tight end looks in uh, uh, last week than before. So it's the Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith Schuster show. And you know what? If you want to get crazy, try to take down a GPP. Don't don't be afraid to stack Deontay with that Steelers defense. He took a punt back to the house last week. Unfortunately, it got ruled back by a pretty iffy penalty. But you always have that in your range of outcomes there. So all the touches 
So we want, he might get shadowed by Bradley Roby, who actually did a pretty nice job on Tyree Kill in week one, Marquise Brown in week two. But, you know, it's still like nice job. Those guys still were able to catch, I think, all but one of their targets each. And I think the way the Steelers are scheming on Deontay with a lot of these underneath routes is it's just going to be a really hard, uh, hard proposition for one player uh, to take away, particularly when we can potentially project double digit targets like he's gotten the first two weeks. So all the Deontay Johnson start treating him as the top 24 wide receiver he is destined to be uh, for the majority of 2020. All right, finishing things out with the tight end group. Who you got, Mike? Yeah, I've been going value with a lot of players. Like, I feel like I'm not spending up for a Christian McCaffrey type player or a Michael Thomas type player, Devontae Adams. I'm not doing that. So it's going to allow me to spend a little bit more on tight end this week. Uh, I'm going to go to Ertz at 5,100. If you want to say, if you need $200 to save, you can go uh, to Dallas Goddard. Uh, both those guys, 5,100 and 4,900 against this Bengals defense that uh, Sean Williams starting safety is still not going to play. They have a brand new linebacking core. Um, I'm, this is a team that struggled against tight ends last year. I mean, again, there's moving parts all over the defense. I don't expect them to stop them now. And the targets, I'm going to set the over-under on targets for these two tight ends at like 15 for this game. Uh, I really believe that. Like, I was looking at the target numbers for these guys last year, and I think it was like over 240. No other team of tight ends, like, like team, like entire teams of tight ends have – totaled over 200 over the last five years like this team just targets the tight end position so much uh, especially with these wide receivers out so I expect them to pepper these guys with targets I like both of them yeah, and unfortunately, you know, Rager's going to miss some time, but having a healthy DJX to help make things that much easier in an intermediate area of the field, mm -hmm. don't be afraid to load up on these tight ends as long as DJX can stay healthy. I'm looking at Jordan Aiken, so I think has some like Austin Hooper 2019 vibes going because if the Texans are going to keep being this bad and keep having to play from behind, I think we're going to keep seeing games like Aiken's had last week where he catches, you know, all seven of his targets for 55 yards. They're not going to be, you know, the most impressive things. He scored his touchdown in week one in garbage time, but guess what? The Sean Watson is a great quarterback, and great quarterbacks continue to move the ball up and down the field in garbage time. Fuller's banged up. Aikens has been playing more than any wide receiver in this offense. I mean, 81% snaps in week one, 83% in weeks two. He's a, he's a very good player. The reason why we never used him last year is because he was really, really, really splitting reps uh, weekly with Darren Fells. Bell's got the touchdown last week. That's always a threat. They do like to use him inside the 10-yard line, but Aikens is, you know, the more uh, volatile field stretcher, seam stretcher that they like to run out there. He's got the talent, you know, training camp star, and we're looking at it. The guy hasn't, uh, you know, nine targets, nine receptions this year. Uh, he's still going under the radar, but, you know, ahead of guys like Logan Thomas and, you know, Ebron, Mo Alley-Cox, like give me Jordan Aikens every day. I understand, you know, Pittsburgh, they got great players all over that defense, but again, it's not like Watson's going to throw for 50 yards next week right. he's gonna put up numbers and i think uh, someone like akins who is not going to be the first priority for that defense could be the guy that benefits mike that's going to do it man thank you so much what do you got uh, up on the uh, um, agenda this week oh man it's uh, as always it's the primer the primer is an article i write i put my heart and soul into it um it's it's looking at it right now <clears throat> it's got about thirty-six thousand words this week Ooh. um it's got a paragraph from every player in every game so if you guys check that out i i appreciate it i put everything into it because i'm sure you like me like ian you get to the point where you you get so many questions on twitter and i, I feel guilty that i can't get to them so that's why when i started thinking about how can i what can I do? Uh, I, I wrote the primer because it was a way for me to give my unbiased opinion on everyone on your roster. So you can go there and uh, everything that we talked about on the show today, it's, it's parts that I basically learned from my research and doing that article. Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's just impossible to try and answer all those. What can we do? Try to get thoughts on every player in throughout the week. I break it up into a few more articles. You put it into one masterpiece that I believe is, oh, it's always free, right? It is free. It's free on fantasypros.com. 
it goes up Thursday. It goes up Thursday morning. So I'm not sure when the pod will be released, but uh, Thursday mornings, I aim to have it up by about 9 a.m. Eastern time. Man of the people, Mike Tagliari, everyone. That is awesome. One, one more uh, quick sponsor shout out to our friends at Monkey Knife Fight. All first time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 in their account while using promo code PFF or receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just $20. And you get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more through their DFS and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA. That's Monkey Knife Fight. Promo code PFF for a free PFF Edge annual subscription when you deposit at least $20. So this has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Tagliari NFL. I'm Ian Harditz. Take care, everyone. 